people could use some hope. And I would want our listeners to hear that too. It's like, you feel like you're right in the middle of this dark night of the soul. Understand that, that if you've gotten there, at least in part by listening to us or being in therapy or going to meetings and things like that, that's not a message that says you're on the wrong path. That's a message that says you're on the right path. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. Uh, I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me is uh, Dr. Alan Berger and our, our uh, wonderful producer, uh, Patrick Newman. How, how are you doing, Patrick? Doing well. Um, you know, we lost a family pet a couple days ago oh. uh, to cancer. And uh, it. I was uh, pretty shocked at how emotionally affected I've been by that. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's one of two little dogs, uh, my mom's dogs. And mm -hmm. um, the thing is, is that we would always walk them together. We would... Uh, you know, take them yeah. on trips together that we have one of those leashes. That's kind of like a Y. So it splits off mm -hmm. into two. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I think just every time, even now I, I think of, uh, you know, one of those leashes never being filled, you know, it's very, uh, existential kind of, so I know oh. you guys can relate to that. Oh, they, they, they leave blank spots. I mean, it's, it's like it's you, everywhere you look, you see them and you see all these little things that just, I mean, it's, you, you forget, you don't even know how many places they are in your life physically until you, till they're gone and you don't. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful image though. That, I mean, in, in a sad way, but that little, that little lease that just basically is, it's got the, the one solo, doggy on it now so i'm so yeah. sorry and it does yeah that's heartbreaking well thank you and so pour some uh, iced tea out on the curb for molly molly okay. passed away yeah <laughs> okay okay alan alan knows this stuff too he's, he's how's rocky rocky's much better thankfully but you know it it is we have these uh these emotional attachments to family members and and molly was a family member for you patrick when I was doing a lot of group therapy back in the day, it's like there was, uh, I don't do, I don't do group therapy a lot these days because of course there's television to watch and I have to get home, but, uh, and there's other, there's probably some, some other reasons, but it's, there was one subject in which guaranteed everyone would shed a tear in a group. And that was when somebody lost a pet. You know, and it's nothing against losing people and everybody wouldn't necessarily cry or whatever. Like it's, it, I just want people to know, cause sometimes people will feel embarrassed by that. It's like, it's just different. And I, you know, and we all have our different angle on it. I, my, my simple way of thinking about it is these guys, these guys are our experience or really our experience with unconditional, true unconditional love. It's like, you know, and as human beings, we have a, we have some pretty, we have some pretty broad conditions we put on people that we, I mean, and, and we have these places where we're, we're very unconditional in lots and lots of ways, but, but humans aren't capable of absolute unconditional 
love. It's like these guys, these guys do this, you know, they, they everything they do, they let go. Everything that happens, they let go, you know? And I mean, I, I can celebrate that in the morning when I give, when I give my, my cat Marcus his pill that he hates. And then immediately afterwards, I console him because that bad man just came in and gave him a pill. You know, and he and he accepts my my consolation. He accepts my love, and it's so it's so beautiful. So so I think you know that that's it's a deep deep hurt. And this was your mom. This this was your mom's dog. Um, it was uh, yeah. I, I think yeah. my mom's the one who got them because our our mm-hmm. first family dog passed when I was I think uh, you know when I was just going into college so a while back, and then she got the two mm-hmm. little dogs as like a. Uh, you know, the successor to uh-huh. the, yeah. the old hound dog. So, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's uh, it's a reminder of my own mortality as well. I mean, I definitely found myself looking in the mirror uh, mm-hmm. and being like, wow, the batteries are going to run out on me eventually. And uh, I, that is a very scary thought. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's And hopefully what we do with that is we turn it into a very motivating thought. I need, you know, that's the idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's, 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 I always say, I want my fear of death to be the fear of interruption, you know, that don't bother me now I'm busy. You know, it's, it's like, I'm really having a nice time here or I'm, I'm accomplishing something I want to accomplish that kind of stuff. And, and instead of just uh, what I have spent lots of time doing, just sitting around being afraid in general, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to use, I want to use my time wisely. So, yeah. I want at least one uh, one brilliant manuscript to uh, be like on a hard drive somewhere when they find my body, you know, like yep, the, next, know. the next Confederacy dunces just right there. <laughs> what a book. <laughs> and what a sad story. We'll go to, we'll talk about that some other time, but, but it's like, yeah. The, the, oh, you're um, talking about fear, Tom, and, and, you know, your, your book was all about that embracing the fear and yeah. You know, look, I understand you got some feedback recently on it. Oh, yeah. I got, I, oh, oh, if you don't mind, I'll, before we get started with your book, I, I, I'd love to share this. As a matter of fact, there's just a short note. It's so cool. This is one. And, and Alan, tell me if you don't identify with this. It's just, it's so cool. Just you go, you go to your check messages and stuff like that. And just every now and then, you know, you'll, you get this nice message about somebody who's, who's found one of your books. You know, and, and it's not, you know, it's like we're, we we kind of get used to the people that we see on a regular basis and they know our material and that kind of stuff, but just out of the blue, somebody else has found that. And it's, it's like, I always just think it's so cool that the books are out there doing the work, you know, and, and carrying the message. And I just want to, I'd love to read this. It's, it's just real brief it's from a, a, a young woman that says, I just, I just read a copy of embracing fear uh, from, from my local library, which I appreciate the library having it. Uh, it, it resonated with me so much that I bought a copy so I could, uh, reread and highlight parts of it. It really made me aware of, of my relationship with fear and how I'm, uh, how I've spent, and this goes to the time thing. Uh, I've spent my energy avoiding, avoiding it instead of using the energy to do things that I want to do with my life. Thanks for, thanks, my, my cat's in my face, excuse me. Thanks, thanks for waking me up, which I love that line. Uh, uh, I look forward to reading more of your work. So I immediately responded back to her, of course, and, and told her about, in case she didn't know about our, our Thursday night group and our podcast and hope she'll, she will, she will join us. But I, but if, and if, and if you are listening to, to the, to our, our podcast today, thank you very much for that wonderful feedback. And, and don't, don't think we ever take any of that for granted. We don't. 
right on. Mean, right on it right. means it means a lot. It really does. It 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 really it it's is in one way it reflects that that the word we're getting out there and the things we're sharing are making a difference for people, and that's really mm-hmm. why we're doing this. You know, yeah, um, is that we get to share some of what's been shared with us, and and hopefully it's going to help somebody. You know figure something out in a better way in their life. Well, and and in the the simplest form, I always just say writers need readers. Yeah. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no, there is no purpose for us unless there's, there's readers on the other side. So, so I appreciate it. So, but speaking of that, let's get back to your book. Well, that's what we're doing. We've been walking through and it's funny. She talked about waking up because that we've just finished (laughs) waking up and living consciously and, and those were the, the first two insights, insight one and two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put insight number three in this discerning our emotional dependency, because as we start to, to wake up and start to, to bring a more uh, full awareness and consciousness to our life, I think what we start to see is that we've been living a life based on contingencies. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, for me, it means it's back to this idea that I'm okay if. See, that's the contingency. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. look, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's a terrible thing. Thank God for parents that were willing to take care of us. I'm okay if needs, right? I mean, right, right, right. Okay, if mom fed me, I needed her to feed me. So I'm okay if she changes my diaper. Thank God she did it. I'm okay if she picked me up and, and you know, you know, sung me to sleep or something like that. I We, we need that connection, that responsiveness, that attunement in our life in order to grow and develop. But the arc of development is moving us towards self-support, towards differentiation is mm-hmm another way to say it. And so in order for me to get there, I need to become aware. And this is the way I like to say it, Tom, and I I think it makes a lot of sense. I need to become aware of who I'm not. Who I'm not is this person that can stand on my own two feet. I was at an NA meeting this morning. I was just sharing with you and we were talking about step eight. And, you know, when I raised my hand to share and I said, you know, I just love this step. It turns out on Thursday nights, we've been on step eight now for quite Three years. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to ever get out of step eight. We love it there, though. We, I'm having so much fun in well, step we eight. We, I've, I've, never, I've never had fun in step eight. I can honestly say that. But <laughs> yeah. I am having a good yeah, time in, step, in eight. step eight. I mean, come to the fun house in step eight. The step eight fun house. I mean, that's what we're doing now. We're having... We're, and part of the fun is, and see, people don't get this stuff. It's it's like what I'll never forget what you said that, that you got this client sitting there and they're in pain and they're struggling and stuff, and you, you can't help but to start to get a smile. Yeah, yeah. A smile is not uh, that's sadistic. It's not sadistic. It's, no, it's a smile knowing I know where this journey is going to go yeah, or the potential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Yeah. No, we know what the potential is. We know that 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 pain that somebody's feeling right now can be opening doors to their life that they could never imagine. Right. If they if they stick with it. Yeah. And and, and I like the fact that you put the humility factor in there, too, because, no, we don't know what their story is going to be. But what we do know, because we've experienced it ourselves and we've witnessed each other and and so many other people before before us uh, and, and since 
we've been there is if you stay on this path, yes. you're gonna, it's going to be better. Your life is going to be better. You're going to be yes. better. There is a moment of joy when you realize that that's there. And, you know, and, and we find ways to share that. I'm sure you do too. I, you know, I, I'll tell them, I'll tell them, you know, I know this hurts for you really badly right now, you know, but, and, and there's a, you know, and I think there's a place sometimes where I know that I can be hurting bad enough to where I don't, I don't give a damn whether you have a, a positive frame on this or not. I don't, do not tell me that, you know, and, and, and hopefully we've become sensitive to, to that. And I try to try to do that, but, but, the, but it, there's also a place there where people could use some hope. And I would want our listeners to hear that too. It's like, you feel like you're right in the middle of this dark night of the soul. Understand that, that if you've gotten there, at least in part by listening to us or being in therapy or going to meetings and things like that, that's not a message that says you're on the wrong path. That's a message that says you're on the right path. That's right. You know, you stay the course, even if you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, it doesn't mean it's not there. That's right. And look at it. This is a part of a process. It's a step in that, in that direction. And as I become aware of these things, then I've got the opportunity to experiment with other ways, right? New possibilities. New possibilities. I love that. That's that's what, that's one of my favorite Alanisms is new possibilities. New possibilities. That's that's what this is about. That's what everything that we talk about is about the therapy. But as I was saying, so I'm in this meeting and we're talking about step eight today. And what I realized is that the way I looked at it this morning, which I'll bring into the meeting on Thursday too, is that another way of thinking about what's happening is that that second half of our first step, that our lives had become unmanageable, right? We are powerless mm-hmm. over our alcohol. We are powerless over alcohol. If you're an AA, if you're an NA, it's we are powerless over our addiction, that our mm-hmm. lives have become unmanageable. Well, that second half of that first step, that unmanageability, part of it is, yes, when you have addiction, including alcoholism, your life is going to get more unmanageable. But it was already unmanageable before we picked up and started using or before the active phase of our addiction started. And that's, and I said today, in one way, we can look at what we're doing about making a list on step eight as now taking a look at the specifics of that unmanageability and what it's done (laughs) is how the course of our life, the trajectory we took had certain consequences certain sequences of events that were going to follow as a result of the way we were the way that we thought that that we that would make life work right we always come up with these things our intention is good right we're trying to figure out well well, yeah well you're i love this because this is one more of those places where i keep saying to you on thursday night that that you know that i that i just love how i am i am getting to see the steps from a from very different angles in this and and that going back to that second, you know, one of the things I've said, I've said in the re, uh, recovery decision thing that I wrote is, is that the first part of the, you know, the first part of the first step is, is not reversible. And, and, but you, but by accepting the first part, you, the second part is reversible. The man, but I never thought of what you just said, which is how did I get to alcohol in the first place? Because my life was unmanageable. Because I was not, I was not doing it. I was not equipped to deal with my life. I was, it was not, I was not managing it. And it didn't, it did, never occurred to me to think of it in terms of, no, the alcohol, alcohol and the alcoholism did not cause unmanageability. It was, it was one more of my ways of trying to cope. 
Yeah, that's right. And then and, and what I tied into it, and when I was talking today in the meeting, I said, and today I realized that my unmanageability in life was caused by this other validation, this need I had for life to be a certain way. I called it, it's, it's a mentality mm-hmm. of, of that my life was contingent. My life was contingent on what you did. Got it. Contingent yeah. about what happened. It's what other people did, how things went for this me. Is- and it never was centered in what I did. It was always centered in what was going to happen to me. So as, my- as soon as soon as I, I get that, as, as soon as I, I mean, I'm thinking about I'm going through my whole life thinking of the various places. As soon as I, as soon as I, it's it's like, wow. My, my first, it's so funny that the first thing that keeps coming back, and I've said this a few times, I'm obsessed with Susie Valinsky. Mm-hmm. My wife, Jess, doesn't get too upset about this, but I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with Susie mm-hmm. because in the third grade, I mm-hmm. knew if Susie Valinsky would have kissed me at re- recess, my life would have been, I would have been in heaven. I yeah. was waiting for that kiss from Susie Valinsky. She never kissed me. She married my friend, actually. My yeah. God, what a betrayal! How did I well, well, now, 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 speaking on behalf of the whole, the whole respect of science, though, since we, we, since we can't time travel, we cannot test that. So it is. Still, <laughs> I want you to. I want you to know, and I'm, my my apologies to Jeff, but it, but it is still possible that that would have been that would have been what would have happened. It's like we can't we cannot rule it out. And I was as, certain I, that if <laughs> from that point on would have worked everything would have been great but i could here here's here's what i would say on my own selfish behalf if Susie had kissed you i'm that would if andy if you were if you were correct about that and and i was saying like we can't say that it would not have happened i i there's no way i would have ever met you and so so i i just i just want to thank Susie for rejecting you the kiss (laughs) i'd like to i'd like to thank Susie too okay (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Susie. For the, look, and in one way, that that is the truth about these things. See, at the time, mm-hmm. it just reminds me of another thing. You know, I was yeah. I was yeah. talking to someone the other day. I, I am a fan of this woman by the name of Byron Katie, and she mm-hmm. has a very very specific approach to helping people. She calls mm-hmm. it the work. You know, all capitals, right? And she goes into the four inquiries when you're struggling mm-hmm. with something. You know. You know, is this true? Is it really true? If it was true, what does it mean? What does it mean if it's not true? I mean, it's a great way of challenging your assumptions and expectations and all of this stuff. But one of the things she's also great at, she says, what, what, she goes, what is the value? What can you be grateful for that that didn't happen? Like she was working with a woman mm-hmm. uh, that, um, was dealing with an incredible loss in her life. And she says, let's just look at a minute from, well, what has that loss brought into your life? And it was amazing because she was doing this in a group and all these other people said, well, what, what your loss has done for me is opened me up to the experience I'm having right now with my loss. I mean, mm-hmm. and so you start to see these things that you don't think have any value possesses a value that you could have never imagined. But anyway, that's for another show at another time. We're talking about emotional dependency today. And, and this emotional dependency thing was this life based on a contingency. And, yeah. and um, that contingency created an I'm okay if mentality. So it 
I really became so reactive and victimized by everything. You know, when you talked about that our victimhood, right, becomes the biggest issue. Well, it's true because it was so connected to what was underneath that, that my well-being was determined by all the things around me that were happening or not happening to me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have any sense that I was in any way had agency in my life or the determining force in my life. My center of gravity was out there in mm-hmm. a great, I mean, and this is the great news about emotional sobriety. It's now helping us grow up where I'm mm-hmm. now, instead of being so dependent on how, what's happening around me or on the people in my life, I'm starting to, to experience that my life is determined by what I'm doing, not what they're doing, mm-hmm. by the actions I'm taking in my life, by the perspective I bring to my life, by the consciousness that I cultivate in terms of having, by the personal constructs that I challenge and continually try to update to see a better way of being able to connect and deal with what is by shifting the focus from life should be a certain way to now, how can I be to deal with what's happening? Well, it's, you're you're moving to, yeah, you're moving from passivity to proactivity. It's like, it's like, because, because the the one way it's like, it's, it's interesting when you say it that way. I mean, I get that. I, you know, and I can, I'm thinking of examples in therapy this last week, I was working with people about that, but it's like, it's still, and this is one of the cool things I like about this work is, is that the wisdom that is here is every time we discover it, even though it's about the 868th time I've discovered this particular piece of wisdom, it's, it's, if we're really tuned in, it's fascinating, first of all. And the other thing is it's really, it really lights up every time. And it's like that idea of being a problem solver, who's looking to see what am I going to do with what, what life is dealing me instead of what, what do I need? What do I think I want to be dealt to me? It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a totally, I mean, it's, it's, it's talk about simple, but not easy. It's a beautiful example of simple, not easy. It's a simple concept and nobody needs to beat themselves up because it's hard as hell to do because right. we are so programmed to do it the other way. And it, is, it is what I would call part of a spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. right? It is now, if you just think of a spiritual awakening as now a, an an illumination, right? Looking at things from a different point of view, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a spiritual awakening. It's a spiritual experience to shift your consciousness from this perspective because it opens up so many possibilities. Like you said, now, you know, it's about what action yeah. can I take? How can I digest this experience? How can I now meet this experience to grow myself instead of being victimized by it, I am being inspired by it, right? Well, we, and what, what, let me just toss it there because while we're doing it the way you just said, it's you're also not there. You're not you're not spending the the, the additional time and, and wasted energy on on evaluating this thing that is happening. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Is right. it you know? It's like it's a th- it's a thing. It's it's like it's so you're dealing with it. And and a lot of times, what we end up doing is 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 just sitting there going like, is this good or bad? And it's amazing how much energy we just leak with that kind of thinking. But that's what that's the way our culture teaches us to do it. That's you know, so it's normal for us to do that. Yeah. yeah.
thing I see people doing and, and I've done is, is I just get caught up in my objection. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's not yes. that way. Isn't this terrible? Look at what's going on. And then, you know, if, if, if I'm not aware of that, then I try to get Patrick involved. Patrick, look at that mm-hmm. terrible thing. And, and Patrick mm-hmm. and I will both sit there and object together. And, you know, that's what a pity party is, right? I invite oh, well, and, and I, and, and let, and it's called so-called negative bonding. And I, and I, having grown up in a family where it's, it's, it was the basis, the glue of, of my relationship with my siblings, you know, that, that, you know, was based basically it's that, that there it's, it, it's really tempting because it's, it's like finding somebody. I was, I was in a situation recently like that, where it's like finding somebody that basically can share a negative view. It's like, there's, there's a bit of a high to that. It's, 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 uh, and it's, and it's, and, and if you're a smart ass like me, it's fun. It's, it's, you know, you can do stuff. So sometimes, sometimes recovery is sort of inconvenient, I find, because I, I realize I'm having a nice time doing this old behavior, but I need to stop it. Yeah. You know, I need not to do it or I need to change it. And it's like, you know, and, and, and if I'm being really honest, I will at times say, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. And I might, might postpone it because I have no, I have not mastered this stuff, but it's, it's like, it's, there, there is, it's not all, it doesn't all feel bad is what I'm saying. It's like sometimes because, because we can connect and well, and we can just look at the polarization of the world and and our, you know, and, and, and that's, that's all through negative bonding, what, you know, on, on, any any political position it's like it's like the idea of finding we got we're trying to find we're as therapists i think we're trying to help people get to a place where we can focus on communication rather than on right or wrong good or bad smart or stupid you know and it's and i don't want to get off on that that either but i think the i i mean just the stuff you're talking about is so important so i I lost my own train of thought it just creates in c i think that's the other thing that that is I think important about this work and that I love about it, it really starts to create an experience of emotional freedom and yes. that my freedom is dependent on what I do and how I deal with life, not on what is happening to me, but in terms of what I do, how I deal with what Amen. is happening to me, right? Yep. Yep. Amen. To the experience I'm having, not the experience. And see, that's the thing that that we don't even realize it. Like one woman in this meeting this morning was talking about, and I could just hear how emotionally dependent she was on her mother and dad. She's an adult. She's in her forties, but she's still caught in that thing. I want their approval. I want that, or I want them to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing I heard her saying all the time. God, I, I, you know, how, you know, I still don't know how to deal with what's going on with my dad. I just hope he could behave differently when I talk to him and stuff. And, and, and it's so interesting that we still get locked into this thing is that we, we don't expect what we expect to happen. It's the hardest thing in the world. It's like, you see what's going to go on. We have a sense of it, but somehow because of our dependency is we need to be different. So we create these illusions. Well, maybe, maybe this yeah let me just tell you i was in a group one one of my little nutshells says surprise is denial's last holdout 
you know, and it's like when we, you know, we're the one that's most familiar with the stuff and we'll say, can you believe? And I, I was in a group one time and the woman came in, the group knew each other very well. And she told the story about her, her, her husband, who was very insensitive and, and quite cruel, actually. And some of the things he said, and she punctuated it with, can you believe that? And there was like, like seven other people in this group. And I mean, it was, they couldn't have done it if they had rehearsed it better. Everybody said, yes, we believe it. <laughs> and, and we started talking about how that you're the only person here who doesn't believe it right you know and we and that's what you're talking about is is like like no it's like it's, we got to stop being surprised by what is absolutely predictable yeah you know right. would yeah. you say uh, alan would you say that um seeking environmental support rather than self-support is that seeking of the environmental support is that like the natural impulse it was the first impulse because of our undifferentiation, meaning it wasn't even an impulse. It was the first, it was our experience with reality because of being undifferentiated. We needed the environmental support, right? Mm -hmm. We, we, and when we were in our mother's womb, we were completely dependent on everything she did. She provided us with nourishment. She provided us with oxygen, everything we needed, security, mobility, everything was provided for us, right? When we're born, we take the first step towards supporting ourselves. And isn't it funny? All of these, all of these body therapies begin with what? Breath. Breath. The first yep. thing we when we were born is to what? Breathe. We, we gotta we breathe. Support ourselves. We were no longer mm -hmm. getting oxygen through the umbilical cord. We now had to oxygenate our, our being. It was our job to inhale and exhale the umbilical cord wasn't doing it for us anymore. So that is, so to me, that's the prototype of self-support. I have to breathe for myself, right? Now, later on in life, I forget this emotionally because what I want you to do when I'm emotionally dependent on you is please breathe for me. <laughs> I mean, and you can't do that. I mean, even if you love me to death, you can't breathe for me. I mean, you can give me CPR until I start breathing for myself if I'm in a crisis. But you see what I mean? It's, it's, I have to be able to provide that support for my life. Biologically, that is instinctual. Nobody has but, to. But Alan, I, I'm sorry, I just got to say this. It's like I, I think I'm listening to in my head to music, you know, all the, the codependent music of the world that we grew up on that we love. It's like they we say it ex exactly like that. I cannot live without you. I cannot I breathe without you. My heart will stop beating without you. It's like, oh, my God. It's, it's like in, in I love those songs, but 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 boy, are they codependent. Are they ever? I mean, one of the things I write about in the book, I don't know if it's in this chapter, but I, I brought in that 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 John Lennon song is you can't do that. You, you can't do that. Yeah, from that, right. It's like, you know, it's amazing how emotionally dependent that song is based on all the That's lyrics right. that song is based on it's that emotional dependency. So the arc, right, the biological arc is always moving us towards wholeness meaning able to be able to function and support ourselves in our functioning. That is built in, right? That is our being. In fact, on Thursday night, I read that little sentence from Hume's letter to Bill Wilson when he said, mm -hmm. he says, it, 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 he says that Roland um, Hazard's um, thirst for alcohol mm -hmm. was a low-level spiritual thirst of our being's need for wholeness. Right. Right. That's how he said it. 
that idea of moving towards wholeness is really cat. We see it all the time. Kurt Goldstein saw it in, he was a uh, neuropsychologist, a neuropsychiatrist, a neurologist, and he worked with all these brain injured um, soldiers from World War I. And what he saw is that even with the brain injuries and limitations they had, they tried to optimize their functioning in whatever way they could, mm -hmm. given their limitations. So it's not like that process ever stops. And we see that with what we called, you know, we call used to call them character defects or mm -hmm. pathological mm -hmm. symptomatology. Mm -hmm. Today, we just call it adaptations mm -hmm. that we adapted in our families the best way we could with what was available. And we mm -hmm. did it around this principle of wholeness. I'm going to adapt to this to ensure my existence, to ensure my wholeness to whatever degree I can. Now, listen, it was compromised because we weren't, you know, it what all the things we needed to really take care of ourselves weren't available. We did the best we could with what we had. Now, let me go back. To, I want to go back to to to, to, uh, to what is your name, Patrick? That's it. It's I get you two boys mixed up. It's like uh, just like my my dad did when with all of our names. It's like, uh, but you were talking about environment environmental support versus self support. So. To me, I mean, and I don't, and, and I, and I'm asking you also, Patrick, if this is part of what you were asking, but it's like, because, because the question sort of implies, and I, and I don't think you meant it that way, but, but implies that we, sh we need to shift from, from environmental support to self-support, because obviously this is one of those places where we're talking about adding, not, not, not switching. It's like, cause, cause it's in, and we're, and what we're teaching is about how you, it's not about environmental support. It's about how you do that. And it's like, it's coming from the inside out rather than I need you to fix me. I need, you know, I need, I need to know, but, but knowing when to reach out and say, I don't have what I need right now. And, and so I contact one of you or both of you and say, I could use, I could use some help. That's, that's not, I want people to, who are listening to you to know that, 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 it, we're we're not saying that's not part of self-support right. right does that make sense yeah yeah we're not saying that that we can become you know so individualistic that we don't need anybody that's not what we're saying we're saying that the mm -hmm. relationship we have with people now is based on a different thing it's not that i need you to make me okay but can our relationship inspire me to become more whole? Of course it can. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the value of therapy. That's the value of sponsorship mm -hmm. in a program. That's the value of going to a meeting. I mean, is that we encourage mm -hmm. each other to grow along these spiritual lines, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. I want to read a few of these, 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 um, these nutshells that are in the book, right? That I call out in these in in the different chapters with these black boxes, right? But yep. There's a couple of them that I want I want to call out. So the first one is trouble doesn't mean something is wrong. It means that something is missing. That's what's one of my I have my book, I have my book open to that with a paper clip on it. That that's that's one of my very favorites. Missing. It's just that now I have to discover how best to deal with this and it just means that that i haven't developed that capability yet it doesn't yeah. mean i'm wrong it doesn't mean i'm defective it means i'm evolving it read, read it again read it again so everybody who's listening can get this this is so important trouble doesn't mean something is wrong it means that something is missing something is missing so 
now, instead of it that something's wrong with me, it just means that there's that I'm evolving. Now I've got to see what, as Tom said, how do I solve this, this challenge that life has given me? What can I do to meet this one? And oftentimes it means developing a part of myself that's undeveloped. And now I have an opportunity. Now, what does that mean? I'm moving towards what? My need for wholeness, right? I'm moving mm-hmm. towards becoming whole. There was another line in here that I thought that was, that was really great that I wanted to call out. And it's, it says this, it says, before we gain true independence of spirit, autonomy, authentic self-esteem, and mature love, we have to become aware of how we keep ourselves immature. So if I become aware of how I keep myself stuck, my emotional dependency, right? How my emotional dependency keeps me stuck. Now I become aware of that and the paradoxical theory of change starts to take place. As soon as I own it, a new possibility exists. I don't know why that works so well as it does, but I do know that that seems to be the process. We admit we're powerless, we discover power. We admit we're emotionally dependent, we start to see how we can support ourselves. If I admit I'm a liar, I start to become honest. If I admit mm-hmm. I'm ignorant, I start to, I start to educate mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. That step of owning what's going on for us is so important. Now, I know for me, one of the things that kept me so stuck, Patrick, was these ideas of who I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I wasn't supposed to be ignorant. Somehow I was supposed to have all of these knowledge mm-hmm. just somehow given to me. I don't know what, where that illusion came from, but it was ridiculous. It's like I had these ideas that who I was supposed to be was nothing with who I was. So I rejected myself and I tried to be this idealized self, right? And it, I was such a phony. It was incredible. Well, I you mean, can't, you can't, you can't get anywhere that way. See, this is the Roger, Roger, Roger such, uh, on, on Thursday night is, is such an advocate of this, of just, and I've really learned a new way of thinking about acceptance uh, through this, that acceptance is the first step to change at any time. It's like, like, uh, you know, the little, the bit we did, you practice accepting yourself and you'll never stop changing. And it's like, like, and what I, what I, what I get for that is it's a sort of a stupid little analogy, but it's like, if, if I want to, if I'm, if I'm sitting here just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and I want, and I want to, and I want to come see you in, in Philadelphia now, uh, or near Philadelphia, Alan, then I not only need to know where you are, I need to know where I am. Right. And if I, but if I, but if I, if I take the directions that Patrick would give me, if it, but his, his directions are from California. <laughs> And I try to set out in my little car to go find you with his directions. I am immediately lost because I have not accepted where I am. And that's what, that's the simple truth about what you're saying with that is like, like, it's, it's like, accept who, what is really true. And immediately you're unstuck. That's right. Now we start to move that towards becoming what we can be right. It's, it's a phenomenal process that takes place. And look, I, I, I think that in one way that, you know, the, what happens to people in recovery is a testimony to the power of this paradoxical theory of change. Every 12-step program starts with it. We admitted we were powerless, that our lives have become unmanageable. That owning that, and that's a tough thing to own, right? 
you know, Bill called it, na every natural instinct cries out against admitting our powerlessness. Mm -hmm. We don't want to do that. We don't want to think of ourselves as that way. We want to think of ourselves as, as controlling things, right? As being able to handle things and stuff like that. But when we accept that, as Tom is saying, when I own that that's the case, now new possibilities present themselves to us. So when, you can't you can't solve a problem that is not accurately defined. It's we know that in medicine all the time. If this right. if this doctor is treating me and I'm not getting better, what's what? Let's go back and get a second opinion. It's the fucking wrong diagnosis. That's right. That's that's the problem definition. So if, if you know if we want to help, but we want to, we want somebody to help me because I'm I'm a guy who's you know just a little low on power rather than powerless. Yeah. It's, you know, we, and we most all of us have tried it that way. It's it's like that's not going to get anywhere because it's the wrong definition of the problem. Well said, Tom. Well said. Yeah. So does that paradox? Where does that paradox come from, by the way? The that, paradoxical theory of change. Yeah. That par I, well, I I think it's been around forever. I mean, many people attributed that idea to Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy is that the paradoxical theory of change is, is what people would do in Gestalt therapy. So if, if let's say, instead of just trying to will someone to change, right? Well, if you want to do it, just set up your goals, right? That's one source. Like that would be one thing is that if people were just rational beings and you said, all right, you want to stop drinking, let's just go ahead and I'll tell you as, as your therapist, let's work out a plan on you to stop drinking. Well, if it was that simple, we wouldn't need therapists. You put your mind to it and you're going to do it. And there's a whole philosophy around that. And that works mm -hmm. to some degree. I'm not throwing that in uh, the baby out with the bathwater. I'm not saying it's not important to set goals in your life, not important to strive for those things, all that. But with these emotional issues, we know that there are other forces involved. There are other forces involved. And that light, it's not just a matter of putting your mind to it but it's creating, it's starting to understand yourself in all of the forces that are involved in terms of what's creating your behavior. And many of those things can be outside of our awareness. So see, that's the, I think that what I'm so excited about, and I imagine Tom feels this way too, is when I help somebody see something that they're unaware of, they have this aha moment. Yeah. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. yeah. Get it now. I see how that relates to what I'm going through. I see how this experience I had relates to this experience and what I'm doing. And see, and at that moment when they own, wow, I see what I'm doing. Now they see a new possibility. Mm -hmm. it, it's it's a phenomenal thing, man. It really is. It's it's part of what keeps me so excited about the work. Yeah, that paradoxical thing also happens in relationships and so one of the things that i'll tell people a lot of times like you were talking about the woman in the meeting talking about how she wanted her parents to be different da, 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 da. you know the, the the truth is it do, it doesn't guarantee that this will happen there's not a there's, there's no formula that says that but what i'll tell people is you're you're actually more likely you're more likely to see change in the person you want change in when you let go and stop trying to change them Right. Now, the, the trick is you have to actually let go and stop trying to change it, because when people get a hold of that concept, they'll do that. They'll go like, OK, but then they realize later, I'm just pretending to stop 
because I'm waiting because if I stop acting like I'm changing you, then you're supposed to change. And it's like that won't, you know, it's amazing how long we'll hold on to that. But it's like when we really let go, you know, and sometimes it comes out as simple as, you know, how many times you get to a thing where somebody's talking about somebody in their family and, and you know, the, the invisible policy manual clearly has the rule that says you don't talk about these things directly. And you just simply ask the person, have you ever asked that person to do that differently? Right, right. No. <laughs> You know, well, why not? Let's try that, you know, and sometimes that'll work. Sometimes it may not, but it's, it's like, again, new possibilities, things we've not considered before. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been a, it's great. I love digging into these chapters because it's fun to revisit this writing. This mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It takes me back to some of those great moments I had with Vince when we were having some of these mm-hmm. and stuff like uh- that. I just wanted to call out one other great line from the yeah. book is um, expectations are resentments under construction. I like that one. I love it. Love it. They sure are. And, and emotional dependency generates a lot of those. You know, as I said before, that the I think the, the pathway to this whole thing is that um, our emotional dependency generates these claims and demands on life that life needs to be this way for me to be OK those then consciously become, because we're not going to call them claims and demands. We're, we're all too modest for that. I'm not going to say, I demand that you do. I mean, some people do that. Right. Yeah. No. Narcissistic, but mm-hmm. most people are, aren't going to say, I demand Patrick that you, you're perfect. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to say that because you know how absurd that is and how, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how outrageous it is. Right. So what it does is that what we do is we now, manipulate that and we water it down and i think it's like we take this thing and we coat it with something that looks more acceptable so now it becomes an expectation so if it's an expectation and it becomes then an unenforceable rule and how we should be it's more acceptable consciously than saying i demand that you're like this or i demand i demand that you do everything and you have every thought in your consciousness to take care of my emotional well-being. Well, if I said that to you, you'd say, God, Alan, you're asking a lot of me. And I, and I would have to say, you're right. But that's what this emotional dependency does. And see, that's why we have to make it more consciously acceptable. Mm-hmm. So we now modify these demands and claims into expectations on enforceable rules and shoulds. And I love that. Before, and this and disappointment. See, that's this is this is oh, my jam yeah. here. This I, oh, I, I spent years doing this. It's like I, if I won't, I will, I will let Patrick know what my expectations are very clearly, but it's going to be through my my disappointment, disappointment that him. I may not even be saying to him. He may even ask yeah, me, are, are, you, look, are you disappointed? I go, no, 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 no. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> Don't worry about well, me. Subtle, man. See, <laughs> manipulative with this stuff, but it's it's so important to become aware of this process because the minute I see that what I'm doing is trying to get you to do what I need to be doing for myself, now all kinds of new possibilities. It goes from blame to empowerment. And that's such yeah. an important thing is instead of yes. me blaming the world and people for what they're not doing to make me feel better. I become empowered to see what I can do to feel better. Thank you. That's a, that phrase, Alan, blame to empowerment. It's like, it's like 
because when you, I, you said that, I love that so much. I thought, okay, what do I, okay. well, it, it, I see it as such a, a huge expanse between those two. But in this case, what you're doing is you're demonstrating how this is actually a very, can be a very organic, natural process with, with the power of awareness. Right. If you can do that, which, you know, what we do with awareness is we fuck everything up for ourselves. You know, uh, you know, I heard somebody say AA years ago, you know, we can't, I can't stop. We can't stop anybody from drinking, but we can take the fun out of it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and that, and that's what we do as therapists. We we bring people's awareness up. So, and, and you and I, we all know the three of us, however crazy dysfunctional or asshole like I've ever been, ever drunk I've ever been, I still have the capacity to be that, you know, but the, you know, I can't do it without knowing what I'm doing. And that makes it no fun at all. And it, it inspires me to basically keep staying, staying in my recovery because, because once, once we can shine that light on something and you're saying that insight that people can have, it changes so much. So let's, let's, what I'd like to suggest gentlemen, if this is okay with you is next week, let's stay on this chapter because I just want to explore this concept of emotional center of gravity. Yes, I really think it, it's it's deserving of a whole show in itself because it's so powerful, practical, useful in terms of understanding these things. So next week, we'll stay on this chapter, discerning our emotional dependency, and we'll explore this emotional center of gravity. See you guys next week. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then we're glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing will entertain me like nobody else. So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me